This is Campus Voices. Issues, news, and notes from the campus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. A public affairs presentation of 90.3 KRNU. Good morning. Welcome to Campus Voices. I'm Rick Alloway, and as always, I thank you for your time this Sunday morning. Our guest on Campus Voices is the upcoming speaker at this week's E.N. Thompson Forum on World Affairs. The uh, World Issues Program has as its uh, theme this year, Creativity to Solve Global Challenges. And the speaker on March 28th will be Jane Chen, an innovator and social entrepreneur. The title of her talk will be How Design Thinking Saves Lives, Lessons on Innovation, Leadership, and Resilience. And she joins us on Campus Voices ahead of time, ahead of her appearance this coming week to visit about that. She's a globally recognized entrepreneur, an inventor, a speaker, and co-founder and CEO of Embrace Global, which has developed a groundbreaking low-cost infant incubator that has saved closing in on 400,000 babies in 24 countries. And uh, we're going to be talking about that innovation this morning and other things that are on her mind. Jane, welcome to the program, and we look forward to having you in Nebraska later this week. Thank you. I look forward to being there. As a father of three now adult sons, I will confess having doing doing my research for you on this program that and when they were first born, the first thought that went through my mind was not, will they have enough warmth? Will they be will they have the ability to thrive and the technology to take care of them? That's my privilege speaking at that time. And uh, boy, it just in, in listening to what you've done and the needs that you have found and the resources you found to try to take on those needs, a lot of other little ones around the world don't have anywhere near that same guarantee of of making it through infancy, do they? No, they don't. It's a huge problem. In fact, 15 million preterm and underway babies are born every year, and many don't have access to traditional uh, hospitals or medical equipment. I am. I've always been fascinated by the intersection and the, the the serendipity, I guess, of seemingly chance encounters that have life altering consequences, and that certainly seems to be the case with you, given the fact that a lot of what your life's work is about today started as an assignment in graduate school. Correct? Uh, yes, it started as a project out of Stanford, where I was doing my MBA. I took a course at the design school there um, that was all about making low cost technologies, and that's where this project um, emerged from. How this company came about. You and a team of students there were tasked with and uh, figuring out this this particular need. Uh, that was a need that was presented to you by your instructor at that point, or a task that was a, a brief, if you will, it was presented to you by the instructor. Yes, it was a challenge um, to build a low cost baby incubator that cost one percent of what a traditional incubator costs, which is twenty thousand dollars in the U.S. So that's um, how the project started as a challenge. And uh, the team I worked with, we, we were all graduate school students of different programs, um, but we came together in this multidisciplinary way to come up with a solution. What a fascinating project. How did you first get your arms around this when you and your classmates started thinking about the project? What was your first line of, of research and attack to figure out where you wanted to go? Well, we just did research. A big part of the class focuses on empathy and trying to understand your customers. And so um, we actually did research on the ground in Nepal over spring break. Some of our team traveled to Nepal and discovered that many babies aren't able to make it to the hospitals. And that was kind of where we woke up to the real problem, that it wasn't about creating a lower cost version of what exists today, but 
looking for a solution that is really serving the people most in need who are unable to access these technologies. And those are people who sit in village settings. And so based on that, we basically realized what was needed was um, a technology that was portable, easy to use, and could function without electricity. And that's how we came up with our product. You've said that you envision a future driven by purpose and compassion, and that drives everything else. I think that's remarkable given the fact that so much of what we see in business incubators and things along that line are driven on what's a way that we can have a financially viable product right away. And then the, 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 the humanity of it and the compassion of it seems left out of that equation too often. So I admire greatly uh, you keeping your eye on the ball of trying to help uh, lots of underprivileged little ones get a good start in life. And you, cer you. you certainly have put the incubator into business incubator by what you came up with for your product here. So walk us through what this remarkable device is that you and your 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 colleagues on your team came up with. Yeah, so traditional incubators, the main functionality is to regulate the temperature of a newborn, but they look like big boxes, big plastic boxes that, you know, have an outlet, you need an outlet to plug it into and, and all of that. They're difficult to operate, they're expensive, they require electricity. We came up with a device that looks like a little sleeping bag for a baby. The core technology is a wax-like substance called a phase change material that melts at 98 degrees. So once you melt the phase change material, it just stays exactly at 98 degrees for eight hours at a stretch. And it's entirely reusable, so you can reheat these thousands of times. And you simply place that pouch of wax into a pocket in the back of the sleeping bag, and that is what um, warms the baby or regulates the temperature of the baby. So it's 1% the cost of a traditional incubator. Um, it's portable. It's super, super easy to use. Um, and of course, it doesn't work with, uh, it doesn't require stable electricity, which means you can use it in many parts of the world where otherwise you couldn't use these incubators. Some of our latest initiatives have been in places like Ukraine, where because of the war, Many babies and moms have been moved to bomb shelters where there isn't medical equipment available or even stable electricity. Um, there was the recent uh, earthquake in Turkey, Turkey and Syria. And so we have just shipped um, the first hundred incubators there and we're fundraising to be able to send about 600 more incubators to that region. Um, so these are kind of emergency relief situations where um, this is an ideal solution for those settings. I, when I went to your website, I saw the appeal right at the top of the first page about the recent earthquake victims, and and uh, this is a, a a product and a cause that uh, will never be met entirely because there are always new crises coming along and, yes. and new needs. Uh, when you first did your your first road trips to Nepal and other places, what were I'm sure that those initial visits still resonate in your memory, and when, when you saw the the kinds of, of uh, uh, struggles that, that local villages were having trying to develop healthcare. What were some of the, the means that women then and still are trying to use who don't have the kind of, of incubator that you're able to provide? Um, everything from light bulbs to um, space heaters. So uh, water bottles, we see very often filling water bottles with hot water. Um, so just a lot of solutions that aren't that effective and can be rather dangerous. I have to assume it was a tremendous eye opener for you to see this these, these kinds of settings, given uh, where you had come from, from a research laboratory to see what conditions were like on the ground. 
Yeah, and that's why we just found it so important to do that early research in India. The team moved to, and India's home to 40% of all the world's premature babies. And so the team moved there after we graduated from Stanford and we set up shop there for the next four years. And that's really what it takes to make a product culturally appropriate. You and I've watched some of your TED Talks and uh, you've talked about uh, some of the astonishing and resilient women that you have met, is there is there one or two you can tell us about with some of the individual struggles they faced and the, the difference that you've made in their lives? Sure. Well, I often talk about one of the first women I met, uh, Sujata, who lives uh, in a village in South India, and she told me the story of how her baby was born two months prematurely. Uh, she took her baby to a village hospital and was advised to go to a city hospital so her baby could be placed in an incubator. Um, that hospital was over four hours away and she didn't have the money to get there. And so her baby died. Um, and actually she ended up losing three babies, all similar situations where she couldn't access a hospital very easily. And she eventually adopted a, a baby. So now has a daughter of her own, but just the plights of these women and the same story out here, whether it was in Nepal or India or anywhere we traveled, we kind of hear the same story over and over again. So it's just um, just heartbreaking when you think of a parent who is powerless to save their child, you know, and, and it's the thing that they want most in life is to care and protect for their children is you as a parent now. And so it was just really heartbreaking to see the helplessness of these women and men, mothers and fathers, both. And to be able to provide them with a solution was incredible, you know, both because it's a, a solution that saves lives, but also provides hope. And that's what we're seeing. You know, we just, um, I had a videographer in Ukraine capturing some of the footage of our work there. And one line that a doctor said really touched me. And she just said, this is the health of the nation. And this is our future Ukrainian boys and girls. And that's that's part of what this product is about for me. It's it's providing this solution. And it's also giving hope to an entire generation. So in spite of the heartbreak and perhaps some of the disbelief that you must have seen or must have experienced when you when you first set foot on the ground, it must be amazingly heartening to then follow up with some of these folks that you've met after the fact and see healthy, resilient, young little ones who might not have been around without a product like you've been able to provide to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. That's the best part is just seeing the product in you, seeing the lives that this has impacted um, and getting to go back to some of these villages or places that we help and see months later that there's a healthy little girl or boy and that our incubator played a role in that. So that's extremely uh, rewarding. There was a quote that you uh, that you had from one of the mothers that said, maybe if I had had this, I could have saved all my babies. That and just that that brought me to tears when I heard that, mm -hmm. because the the heartache that they're carrying with them, uh, with the memories of the little ones that are, are no are no longer with them. So mm -hmm. uh, you, you talked about this um, phase change material that that fits into the back of of the uh, sort of, as you call it, a sleeping bag. So how does this work us through the mechanics of how this happens? If I if I'm a parent and you walk into my my rural village and you say, look, we've got this amazing device that will help keep your baby warm. What are the the mechanics of how this operates? Where does that pack fit in? And and what does the mother or father need to do to, to keep the little little person warm? Well, these mostly um, work in clinics. And so they sit in a village clinic often. And there's three parts of the product, the sleeping bag, the wax pouch, and a heater. So the heater requires about a 30-minute 
charge and that we have two versions of the heater, one that uses electricity, one that uses hot water. And then once melted, again, it just stays at uh, the wax pouch stays at 98 degrees for up to eight hours at a stretch. And so that wax pouch simply gets placed into a small pocket in the back of the sleeping bag. And then the baby uh, is wrapped up in the sleeping bag. So it's really, really intuitive, very simple to use. We have trained, you know, mothers who are completely illiterate on how to use it. And within, you know, one training, they get it. And even in the clinical settings, I was just talking to a doctor in Zambia and she was saying how easy it is to train moms or they just figure it out on their own. And so that means in these settings where doctors and nurses are totally overworked because there's so many patients per each doctor or nurse, um, they don't have to do as much because parents can figure out how to, you know, do use the device on their own, be trained on how to use the device on their own. Um, and that was the whole idea. Every aspect of the product was designed with simplicity in mind. And also with the amazing uh, respect for and awareness of the different sorts of villages and clinics and, and areas where you would move in by the by virtue of the fact that, as you said, you've got a version that can just you can use pour, pouring hot water into it to warm it up. And the instructions that are written in sign language or illustrations for populations that are illiterate, that's just a. A, a really nice awareness of the of the different kinds of of communities you might move into. How many iterations did you work through from the time you first looked at this on the drawing board as students to the design that you use now? Oh, uh, hundreds. Yeah, I, I, we lost count, but a lot. <laughs> that uh, that stick-to-itiveness is is really impressive, and what a perfect name for the device and for your company embrace, because I just see that visually as, as wrapping the little ones up, but also embracing the the desire for uh, purpose-driven life and, and business and, and uh, thriving of, of uh, society all around you. Um, you've said that early on, you made the conscious decision when you were looking at whether or not to work with strictly with doctors and healthcare professionals versus working with smaller clinics and individuals, what was the deciding factor there on which way you ended up going? Um, we just realized that it was really important to gain the buy-in of the medical community first before we could kind of bring this to in individual settings. There's a lot of complicated logistics around the individuals as well. Um, so mostly the product is in clinical settings. And a sidebar to this that I thought was fascinating was you said that you realized and your statistics showed you that when infant mortality increases, population actually decreases. That seems counterintuitive at first, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, what what the research has shown is that as infant mortality goes down, families don't anticipate their babies are going to die. So they have fewer children. And you see this effect within about one and a half generations. Um, so it's very counterintuitive, but actually reducing infant mortality doesn't increase the population count. It does the opposite. I was also impressed by the fact that you said, uh, perhaps somewhat surprisingly, when you did your research uh, following up and, and evaluation, that some of the biggest changes you've seen from the use of your incubators may be in mothers and not so much in the infants. Tell us what, what you meant by that, that, that the mothers are the ones who really seem to be uh, the, some of the biggest beneficiaries from this? Well, what I meant by that, what I often see is like women who are empowered to, to save their children. Um, and it's a tool that they have agency around that they can use. And it's just, it's very empowering for them to, to know that they have that ability rather than being um, 
so hopeless and helpless when they have a premature infant. And oftentimes in the villages that I've visited around the world, women are blamed for the loss of their babies or for having sick babies, and it's entirely not their fault. And so I think it's empowering to women on many levels. That must have been a very pleasing sidebar discovery from what you originally had thought you'd be getting into for this. Yes, definitely. So now the the whole idea of Embrace has expanded uh, into several different divisions. You you are the the co-founder and CEO of, of Embrace Global, but uh, walk us through what the the differences are between Embrace and Embrace Innovations and how those two sort of dovetail. Um, Embrace Global is our nonprofit 501c3. We started as a 501c3. And then a few years into our work, as the impact investing world was starting to grow, we were approached by some investors who said, if you guys had a for-profit arm, we would be interested in investing in that. And so we spun out a for-profit arm with the idea that the nonprofit would collect donations to give the product away for free. And the for-profit would raise capital, private capital, to invest in the more capital intensive things like manufacturing and distribution. And then the for-profit would sell the product to paying entities like governments, for example. Um, And so that's a model we tried. And uh, it's interesting because over the years, what we started to understand was for a product like this, which is very low margin, low cost and hard to distribute. And then working within, you know, very bureaucratic government systems, it wasn't as straightforward as we expected to do those sales and and even sales were like highly dependent on political cycles, for example, in a country like India. And so long story short, we decided to actually um, close the the for-profit for the time being and just focus purely on the nonprofit, which I feel really excited about because it just brings us back to our mission and our goal. And actually our latest count is we've helped over 475,000 babies in 25 countries. Um, We're on track to reach a million babies by 2025. And what I love about this is like our ability to make impact then isn't reliant on these very challenging government tenders and political cycles and things like that. We can actually give the product away for free to all the babies who need it. And that's the dream, you know, that every baby can access this who needs it. Um, and so I love this model and it's, it's, uh, we, we, we've certainly had an evolution and I think that is the true entrepreneurial journey that you innovate, not only around products or services, but around business models as well. And you figure out what works or what doesn't. And we've certainly had many learnings in that process. Um, but we've kind of come full circle and I'm, I'm really happy and, and excited about where we're at. Well, just as you've uh, learned a lot in the different business models, I was uh, so impressed in looking at how the design for the incubator itself has evolved to things like having a clear plastic window for doctors to be able to watch an infant's breathing patterns and to have side vents that allow for easy IV hookups. I mean, that's just, you appear to have thought of everything in, in your designs, and I'm sure a lot of that was uh, trial and error and and just learning from what the professionals on the ground were telling you. Yeah, definitely. That's where all the product iterations came from. When you when you come and, and speak on campuses like you're going to be doing here, if there are any chances to meet with students, what do you tell them about uh, the next generation of people like yourself to to fuel their imagination and their energy to to do what you've done? Um, usually, I just tell students to follow their passions and to lead with their hearts. You know, a lot of the decisions I've made in my career didn't make sense intellectually. We're 
were decisions my parents didn't really understand or didn't stand behind. <laughs> they wanted me to go into, you know, a fancy corporate job, not really the nonprofit world, for example. But every time I've made a decision that's heart driven, I've never regretted it. And that's what I always tell students is find find your passion, find your purpose and and pursue that. And don't be afraid of risk and failure. You will face failure along the way. In fact, if you're not failing, then you're not learning, right? And so I really encourage students to take those risks and not see failures as endpoints, but as learning opportunities. Um, every challenge is an ally. And so how do you get really curious and and take those opportunities to learn everything you can in this lifetime. I have to ask you about surfing because I know you started a, a personal blog where you talked about uh, the values of surfing and an entrepreneurship. What has surfing taught you about life and and uh, and what lessons have you learned from that that you can plow back into your research? Oh gosh, that's like a whole nother uh, interview. <laughs> But um, I would say in short, uh, the idea of impermanence, you know, being in the ocean teaches me that everything is always changing. And so it's important to be present, um, but also not to be attached to anything, including to outcomes, because the only thing that's certain in this life is uncertainty. And so um, surfing teaches me a lot that's contrary to how I used to live my life. You know, you don't have control of the waves. You can learn to ride them, but a wave will come or not. And you really don't have any control of that. Um, and surfing is also a sport that is really about understanding and observation. It's less about the actual ride. In a two-hour session, you might spend two minutes on your waves. And so a lot of it's waiting and understanding how a wave breaks and how the ocean works and just becoming intimately familiar with your environments. And I think that's such an important part of life. All good life lessons. Now, I know a lot of your research has taken place and a lot of the product development and product uh, placement has been in in, uh, in in countries where there's a lot of of uh, poverty, but certainly I'm sure you you found there are are medical deserts here in the United States as well, where there's not uh, easy access or or uh, as local hospitals have closed and medical professionals have moved out. Are you seeing some opportunities in some markets here in in, in our own country for your incubator? Um, there, it could be, I mean, going through the FDA process is its own beast. <laughs> and so given that this was really designed for developing country context, that's where we have focused. Um, we may consider something in the U.S. in the future, but that's not a priority at the moment. Okay. Well, what's next? You've, you've achieved a, a, an amazing amount in your life. What, what's, what's next for you? Yeah, thanks. I'm currently writing a book, which I'm really excited about. So I sold the book uh, last year. It's a memoir to Penguin Random House, and it will come out next year. And so for people who want to follow that journey, um, my website is janemariechen.com, and you can sign up for my newsletter. Um, but I'm super excited about that because it's about the lessons I've learned through this whole 15-year journey and beyond. Um, it's a story of healing and the things that I have found in life that are the most important in order to live your most fulfilled life. So that's my next big project, and I'm, I'm super pumped about it. Well, we appreciate you taking time this morning to talk about it, uh, all of these ventures. We look forward to hearing your address at the Ian e. Thompson Forum on World Issues, 7 o'clock, March 28th at the Leeds Center for Performing Arts. Jane Chen has been our guest this morning on Campus uh, Voices. Thank you so much for your time. A pleasure to get to meet you. 
Thanks, Rick. And I just wanted to mention for those who do want to learn more about Embrace or support our nonprofit work, our website is embraceglobal.org. Thank you very much. Jane Chen, our guest this morning on Campus Voices. I'm Rick Alloway. I appreciate your time on this Sunday morning. This has been Campus Voices, issues, news, and notes from the campus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To comment on this program, call 402-472-3054 or email to krnu at unl.edu. Campus Voices is a public affairs presentation of 90.3 KRNU, Lincoln.